I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been everything I teach is in a series. And I've been a in on Saturday, I've been in a series on the Christ Mass. Christ Mass is false doctrine. Christ Mass. This all gets down to two different things. Christ Mass. It gets down to definition. And idioms are metaphors. Well, we would call that figures of speech. What something actually meant. An idiom is when you use a word to express something that it's just one word. A metaphor is saying something Maybe saying a sentence that means something else, like, uh, I got it straight from the horse's mouth. I've used that so many times. Straight from horse's mouth. That's an idiom. The Christ Mass is actually comes from a Jewish idiom. This comes from a Jewish idiom except it's twisting the Jewish idiom. It's twisting the idiom and making it mean something that it did not originally mean. The Mass is Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism. What they did, they took an idiom of the Jews, eat flesh and drink blood. And they said, we have to insert something in there that will make this independent of any other religion (laughs) where it will only belong to the Roman Catholics. Well, Jesus, when he said in John the 6th chapter, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Gosh, that sounds serious. It is. You have to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ. The only problem is, eat flesh and drink blood was an idiom. It was an ancient saying. First of all, it was against God's law for His people to eat human flesh or drink blood of any kind. It was against God's law. You find that in Leviticus, particularly the 17th chapter and in Deuteronomy and other places in the Scripture. So the Roman Catholics said, we've got to do something with this. We've got to make it some reality in the Roman church. It was eat flesh and drink blood. You find that in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. You find it in Revelation, the 19th chapter. And you find it in Matthew, the 24th chapter. 24. In Ezekiel 39, we see Gog and Magog are going to be destroyed. And I go into this in detail. I won't do it today. I go into Gog and Magog. Magog and Gog were the ancient enemies of God. That was actually between the North Sea and the the Caspian Sea. That was the land of the Assyrians or the Caucasians. That was in the Caucasus Mountains. That's why... I say Caucasians. Gog and Magog. 
Well, the Bible says when Gog and Magog is destroyed at the end of time, that God's going to call all the fowls and the wild beasts of the earth to come and eat flesh and drink blood for this great festival I've prepared for you. Well, the reason that God is saying that, and all the wild beasts of the field, all the carnivorous animals, carnivores, Carnivore is one who eats other animals or eats human flesh or eats flesh. So he's going to call the eagles and the and the buzzards and the lions and the bears to come and eat. There's not going to be enough funeral homes to take care of all of them. There are going to be millions, hundreds of millions dead. And you find the same thing in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, he says he's Jesus is coming back on a white horse and you got he has the word of God coming out of his mouth that's the sword which is the word of God and he's going to call all the fowls of the air to come and eat this great festival this supper I have prepared for you and he's saying the same thing that it says in Ezekiel in Matthew the 24th chapter when the apostles say What's going to be the sign of thy coming of the end of the world? And it goes through all these signs. Many will say, I am Christ and deceive many. They'll say, he'll say, they even call me Christ, Jesus said. But they'll be deceiving because they won't be believing what I said. And he said, and he said, the next time the world sees me, it'll be as the lightning shines from the east to the west. And then he says, wherever the eagles are, that will be the end of time. Where the eagles are gathered together. And they're gathered together to eat this flesh and drink this blood of Gog and Magog at the end of time. That was an idiom. An idiom is something that's repeated more than once or twice. It's something that's continually said. Well, we have all kinds of idioms. He, he explained the idiom after he said it. He said, here's the meaning of the idiom, or the metaphor. Here's the meaning. The meaning is, my flesh is made indeed. Made indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. So to eat flesh and drink blood means you've got to define the word indeed. Indeed is the word alethes, L-E-T-H-E-S. Alethes is the word of truth. When you eat and drink of truth, then what you'll end up doing, you'll go around telling truth to people. And that's when you'll eat flesh and drink blood. And it means to partake. Eat flesh and drink blood means to partake in a slaughter. Now the Bible says... In the 8th chapter of Romans, Romans 8, that we are lambs to the slaughter. And the world will slaughter us when we start telling them Christmas is Christ's Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and it's paganism. When Constantine brought it into the church, he wanted to pacify all of the pagans and the heathens the barbarians that were rampaging across the European continent, and he wanted to pacify them because it looked like 
that the Caesars are going to lose the empire. So he says, I will amalgamate the church and I will amalgamate the pagan church at Rome and I'll bring all the gods of these of these Huns, Vandals, Goths, and Visigoths. You say, Jim, you've gone through this. I'm agreeing to you to a point. We've got all kinds of idioms in our society, and we don't see anything wrong with that, but we think it's wrong for them to have idioms and metaphors. And in in order to conciliate the heathen to nominal Christianity, then Constantine, who was ruling here at Rome, he had been ruling at Constantinople, and he came over and conquered Maxentius because he was, and he was afraid they were going to lose this empire to the Huns, the Vandals, the Goths, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, and all of these pagans. Rome only ruled around the sea. That's why the beast comes up out of the sea. The beast was Babylon, Iraq, or the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, that was Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so forth, and then Greece, and then Rome. They had their boundaries upon the Mediterranean Sea. Now, so they, it comes up out of the sea, and this is, he wanted to, so he brings all of their gods into the church at Rome, and the Christians kept on rising up and multiplying. They'd been killing the Christians, so he said, we'll quit killing the Christians. They can come in the church. All the pagans can come in the church. And their main festival was the Feast of Saturn. They said, we're going we're gonna to turn Saturn into something called the Mass. And what they said they would do, this was their invention my flesh is made indeed. That was Jesus' words, but Jesus said, you're eating and drinking of truth. Truth is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, and aletheia comes from lanthano, which means to hide or conceal, and and it means to conceal or hide, and the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle negates the word. It gives an opposite meaning. It means not to hide anything. So when we don't hide the truth, we pull the cover off, and we tell people what things mean, then people get angry at us because we say Christmas is Christ's mass. It's paganism. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. Well, they idiomized the words of Christ. They said, we will take... This was an invention of Roman Catholicism. This is not true. And they raise the Eucharist up, and they utter the words, Hoc es corpus eum fili. They say that Eucharist turns into the literal body of Christ. In the Roman Catholic Church, they have these masses all day long where people walk down the aisle. They, if you're in a big Roman Catholic Church in New York or Philadelphia, one of the big cities, they may have five or six or eight masses all day with different priests holding those masses. And they have to have the Mass so that you can be fooled into believing you'll get to go to heaven while you pay your indulgences or pay for your sin. It took so much money to pay for certain sins. And so that's how they fool the people and con the people. Well, let me show you what we've got. 
I can't even begin to tell you all the idioms that we've got. It's okay for us to have idioms. But what about, why can't the people in the first century have idioms? We got an idiom called grease the palm. What does that mean? Put money in my hand and I'll give you what you want. Bring down the house. That don't mean to literally take a bomb and blow a house up. That means it was some kind of a show and they just clapped and jumped and hollered and screamed. Don't mean you tore a house up. That's an idiom. Hold your horses. That don't mean go outside somewhere and find some horses and hold them by their rein. Hold your horses means stop. Drive it into the ground. That's exactly what I'm doing with this message. Driving it into the ground and breaking it off. A month of Sundays. What does that mean? It means a long time. Hold a candle to. Hold a candle to means he can't hold a candle to that. He can't come up with something near that. It doesn't mean to hold a candle. It has nothing to do with candles. To knuckle under. That is an idiom. You mean we have all these idioms and they have them and, and they can't have them and we can? The knuckle under is to buckle down and get buckled down. There's another idiom. And get something done. Work hard. A wild goose chase. Does that mean you're chasing wild geese out somewhere in a field? No, that means you're going. The, you're doing the wrong thing and running the wrong race and going somewhere and trying to find something you can't find. Keep the wolf away. That's an idiom, isn't it? What does that mean? That means you got to get a job, make enough money to keep the keep the people that are foreclosed on you away from your door. Paint the town red. What does that mean? Does that mean go and get a brush and get a bucket of paint and paint paint every start on everybody's house till the police arrest you? No, that means to go out and party and have a wild time, get you a girl and go out and dance and get drunk. That's what it means. Paint the town red. Horse of another color. That's an idiom, isn't it? It means, well, that's something different than what you think. That's what it means. How about go against the grain? Does that mean to go out and find some grain and and try to push against it? No. That means to go against what the norm is in the society, doesn't it? It's the same thing as swim upstream, isn't it? He swims upstream. He's always going against the current. All those are idioms. You mean we can have them and they can't have them? To rule the roost, does that mean you have to be a rooster to rule the roost? No, that means the guy is so bossy, he's got to rule the roost around his house. He's got to rule the roost wherever he goes. He's a tyrant. How about ghost writer? That means you have to be a ghost to write. That means somebody that writes for somebody else under another name. Pull the wool over one's eyes. <laughs> now, what does pull the wool over somebody's eyes mean? It means to fool them. It doesn't mean to go get some wool and put it over somebody's head and pull it down. 
keep it under your hat. <laughs> what does that mean? That Well, we've got thousands of idioms in our society. Every day, I've got books on it that Americans have idioms. And they had them, and we, and we say, well, it means to eat flesh and drink blood. No, it doesn't. It meant to eat and drink of truth. Jesus said so right after he said it. The fat's in the fire. <laughs> that means somebody has exposed something. It doesn't mean somebody threw some fat in fire. Adam's off ox. Boy, now that's a weird thing, isn't it? That means something other than what you think. A bad egg. A good egg. A bad egg means a guy that everything is wrong in his life. And he's a little crooked. A good egg is somebody that's... He's a good egg. He's a bad egg. What's happening? <laughs> well, uh, what's happening uh, sounds like sounds like uh, all in the family and it's down like Edith. Some guy asked her... Now, let's start from the beginning. Well, I was born in in such and such a town on such and such. He said, no, no, no. Start with the... That's the way Archie will try to get her to talk, you know. What's going on? Where? You mean in China? Downtown? Uh, in California? No, what's going on? You walk up to somebody and say, what's going on? Here's a good idiom. Get out of here. I love that. If you say, get out of here, that doesn't mean the same thing as get out of here. Get out of here means get out. Get out of here means I don't know if I believe that. It depends on the expression you use, doesn't it? How you doing? How you doing what? What do you mean, how am I doing combing my hair or eating a pizza or what forget about it now that means 500 things in New York that means don't say any more about it that means I don't care that means anything you want it to mean in New York a cougar what is a cougar is that a cat no, a cougar is an older woman trying to act like a young girl with a lot of lipstick on, and she's 55, and she's trying to act like she's 25. That's a cougar. Y'all knew that, didn't you? Uh-huh. Huh? Hey, Slick, does that mean some guy's got grease all over him? No, no. That's what older people will say. Older men will say to young guys, a new guy on the job that's young. Hey, Slick. He's in hot water. Does that mean he's taking a shower, taking a bath in hot water? No. That means he's in trouble. Ugly as a stick or ugly as sin. Now, what's that mean? That means real ugly. <laughs> We used to call girls when I was young squirrels, and that was an idiom. That was a, that was a metaphor. A dog was also an ugly girl. <laughs> a wolf was a. The Bible teaches that's a false teacher, or it's an overbearing man, or it's a guy who chases a woman. 
That's heavy. That means that's it, it don't mean it's difficult. It means that's really strong. It's like <laughs> in the movie uh, with Michael J. Fox about Back to the Future. He kept back going back 20 years in the past, and he kept saying, that's heavy. And uh, the, uh, the the doc would say, Are they, is things way more in the future? <laughs> Foxy. Hot cat's meow. Cat's meow was used in the twenty twenties, and that meant really something really good looking. Hot and foxy means some really good looking woman. They don't use that anymore. Groovy, that's out of the twenties, and they brought that back in the, about nineteen seventy. And you can use that for anything. Crocodile tears means somebody's crying excessively. Cool as a cucumber. Cool kale. Oh, well, that's enough. I've got pages of these. Here's another page. Here's another page. And I got books of them. So we have all of these idioms. Is it okay that Israel had the same thing? Yeah. Now, you know what's wrong? People don't bother to find out the meaning of things. It's in definition. Christmas is Christ's Mass. Don't matter whether anybody believes it or not. Now, people will say it's okay to celebrate Christmas as long as you do it for Jesus. What? Is it okay to pretend that something is not what it is? Is that okay? If you define Christmas, it's Christ Mass. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. Let me say it to you one more time. The reason it was against the law when the Puritans were in Europe and in England, the Roman Catholic Church over in that area was ruling with an iron fist. They had something called the Inquisition. You can look this up on the internet. The Inquisition, they had the Catholic Inquisition. The, they had the, the ancient Inquisition. They had the, the, uh, they had different forms of it. They had the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition. And this Inquisition lasted about 400 to 500 years. And they were, in the Roman Catholics, they were persecuting, not just persecuting like we think of persecution, they were killing and torturing Christians who would not partake of the sacrament of the, sacrament of the Mass. And you had to defect or pull away from your belief if you were a Baptist or you some Congregationalist that believed the truth. They would torture you, pull your fingernails out, peel your skin off, until and torture you till you couldn't stand it anymore. They would disjoint you on some rack, throw you into water, put you in there, and and dip you under the water over and over again till you promised that you would. You would cease 
and you'd cease your beliefs and you partake of the sacrament of the mass. The conservative estimates that they killed, they killed families, 50 million. Some say they killed more than that. They killed 50 million people torturing them, and these were the Albigans family, A-L-B-I-G-U-I-N-S-E, Albigans. This was the Waldenses. Many families, the Cathars. The Cathars, the Huguenots. And they had multiplied over hundreds of years and they killed off some say 50 up to 100 million of them. Now, if you get a Catholic sociologist, he'll tell you, well, we only killed uh, 30,000. Now, I don't know if, what they, if they think 30,000 is okay. Maybe 150,000. Well, you think that's okay to torture 150,000 people? The conservative people say it was 50 to 60 million. And when these people came to America, they're all against the Waldenses, the Cathars, the Huguenots, they said, we will outlaw Christmas and anything that has to do that is papal. Papal means Roman Catholic. Papal or the papacy. And they outlawed Christmas, Easter, all of these holidays that we say are Christian. They outlawed them. They didn't start celebrating Christmas till around 1890, somewhere in that neighborhood. It was very slow in coming on. In the mid-1800s, Christmas didn't even look like it looks now. It was completely different. What is all of this about? It's about Israel going after the other gods, other gods. The same thing that Constantine brought in the church was the gods of the Ostrogoths, the gods of the Burgundians, the Visigoths, the Huns, the Vandals, all of these hordes rampaging across this European continent and brought them into the church and we know that they came out of Babylon because Babylon, Revelation 17 and 5, says Babylon mothered all, all, it says harlots. And Babylon was founded on self. Or let us make us a name. Let us, Genesis 11 and 4, let us make us a name. The word name is the word shim it means authority so they started this system in babylon if israel went after baal in the grove and all of these huns and vandals and visigoths were pagans then what israel went after baal in the grove came out of babylon and what they went after came out of babylon and what god punished israel for for 2,600 years for going after these gods for 500 years was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed Christ's Mass. And that's a fact. Now, the problem is a lack of definition. God said, if you, 
if you do not define something exactly and what it means, you're preaching false doctrine. You cannot come up and say, if you say these words, I think it means. To me, I think it's like using cuss words in the pulpit. You can't think anything. You've got to define everything. Now I'm going to give you, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, I have gone through this over and over. Leviticus 26. Exodus 15. And many other places. These are some of my favorite places. Now if you... God has a covenant with Israel. Covenant is the word berith, B-E-R-I-Y-T-H. In the Old Testament. This is a covenant is, let me put it this way and I'll explain it later. It is death to self. It is actually obeying God as opposed, opposed to obeying your own desires. Bang your lusts. And they will say this in Deuteronomy 28. When you start in verse 1, God will say, If you obey my commandments and keep my statutes, all these blessings will come upon you. You will, I will fill up your storehouses. I'll fill up your fields with plenty of food. I'll fill up your basket. I'll have you, you will have children and they will be born healthy. They won't be born dead. They won't be stillborn. They'll be healthy. But all that is if you obey me, this has to do with obedience. The covenant has to do with obeying God. Then down in, in verse he said, you'll go against your enemy one way. They won't flee before you because, because you go to a Baptist church. You have to be obedient to God's Word. But how can you obey without knowing the definition of words? Without knowing what Christ's Mass is. It is Roman Catholicism. How can you obey God? And on down there in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28, God says, if you disobey me, disobey, he said, I'll bring pestilence on you. I'll bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Then I'll bring the beast and carry you away into captivity. Needless to say, they disobeyed God and they were not obedient to the definition of God's word. That is the problem in America. When God says, I will bring pestilence, that is every kind of disease you can think of. Every disease in the world, it doesn't matter whether it's AIDS, Ebola, or the current 
virus epidemic that's all over the world, the COVID. It doesn't matter if it's the virus of, of 1918 or whether it's the Black Plague or whether it's smallpox, whatever it is. Every time that comes along, that's punishment upon the world. That is pestilence, disease, and it comes from God. It does not come from Republicans or Democrats. It has nothing to do with them. And it's here. I don't know that it's ever going to leave. I don't, I don't, I said before, if God wanted to increase it, He will do that. It's really funny that there's a new strain of it over coming out of Europe or out of England or out of Africa. They said there's a new strain. They're going to have to come up with another cure. God can make it get worse and worse and worse. What? Why is it going on in America? It went on in Israel for 500 years. They went after Baal, Grove, Shemash, Molech, all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of the of the pagans that were there in there in Israel, all the gods of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites. They went after all these gods. It's been going on in the world ever since then. The preachers in America, how can people, how can people follow and obey the truth if the preachers are lying and not giving people definition of what the Bible means? The Bible, the King James Bible is not the inspired word of God. I use the King James because it comes from the correct text, the Textus Receptus, the Greek text, right here. It's in an interlinear Bible. has the Greek on the top line, and then has the English under it. I don't even believe the English in a, in a analytical, in a, in a interlinear Bible. I use the English to locate the Greek word, and then I go into, then I take, put the Greek word down, look it up, in an analytical lexicon, a parsing guide, and tell you what part of speech is and what it says actually in the original text. There's a lot of mistakes made in the King James Bible. I'm not going to go into those right now. I'll go into them maybe next week. But what I want to go into you right now with is to show you some of the false doctrines. And it's because people have been too lazy... Preachers are too lazy to define the words. My favorite, my favorite uh, anger, my resentment is against the Baptist preachers I was raised around. There's two things they preached. And nobody has bothered to find out. I, you talk about frustrated when I was a little boy. I was in the independent, my father was an independent Baptist. They call them fundamental Baptists. They're the hard-headed, hard-nosed, hardheads is what they are. And they would say, you have to accept Christ as your personal Savior. My father would say that over and over and over and over. And he would give long invitation hymns. Invitation. God is not inviting anybody to enter in. He is commanding all of his sheep, follow me. It's a command. He's not asking anybody to accept Christ while they're dead in sin. And they also said, 
You have to accept Christ. I cannot begin to explain to the congregation of grace and truth how that confused me as a boy. I mean, I was beside myself. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to accept Christ. I was so frustrated. My father would give long invitation hymns and say, if you don't know, this may be your last chance. I'm going, I don't know. I don't know. I'd walked the aisle before and I thought I had accepted him. I said, did I do it right? I wonder if I did it right. And they would tell me I had to pray the sinner's prayer. And I would say to myself, did I pray the sinner's prayer right? Did I mean it with all my heart? I was actually believing my father and he didn't know what he was talking about. And I was believing him. And going to these fellowship meetings where I'd hear all these preachers, some of them are famous independent Baptist preachers, and everybody's walking the aisle and going down there to the altar. Altars were dying on. Nobody dies at an altar down at the front. And I was unbelievably frustrated. I grew up... I walked the aisle so many times, my father got to where that he wouldn't, he baptized me over and over and over again because the independent Baptists say, you have to be baptized in water after you're saved. Well, Jimmy, if you didn't really know back then, and you're walking the aisle today, and I've dipped you three times, I'm going to have to dip you again because baptism comes after you're saved. They didn't know that baptism did not mean to dip in water. You want to know why I resent that? I remember living on Grover Street in Fort Worth. I remember playing down by the railroad track. And there were some fields out there off of Dean Road. And I would go out there in the fields and I would see. I, I played in... We we wasn't exactly rich. It was about 650, 700 square feet in a little four-room house. And six of us lived there. And my... My little brother and my sister sleep in the living room. Mom and daddy sleep in one bedroom. Me and Clyde would sleep in the other. And all we had was a little bitty tiny kitchen besides that. And I would be out there playing in the field. And I'd look up and I'd see a cloud in the sky. And I'd say, yeah, I wonder if Jesus is coming in that cloud. And I don't really know I'm saved. And I was frightened as a boy all day, every day, constantly. My father was lying to me. And those independent Baptist preachers lie as fast as they talk. Independent Baptists came out of the Southern Baptist. The Southern Baptist quit preaching predestination around the 1920s. So the independents pulled away and they started preaching predestination until they died away. And then the free will people moved off to Springfield, Missouri and off to Chattanooga. And John Rice came out of that out here in Murfreesboro. And I know all about those people. You guys that are independent, you can't tell me nothing about them. You're hardheads. And you don't define nothing. Well, my father would say, you have to act. One of the last things he said to me on the phone, Jimmy, all that matters is a man accepts Christ as his personal Savior. And you couldn't talk to him. And I was thinking, well, then all you need is a Bible. And all these can be blank pages and have one page right in the middle that says, Accept Christ as your personal Savior, and that's all you need if that's it.
And that's just not true. My father never, he didn't know how to define that. He didn't know 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. The natural man receiveth not, receiveth decomai, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them. Accept Christ as your personal Savior while you're dead in sin is false doctrine. You preachers that preach that, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because the natural man, the man who is dead, the physical man, that word sukikos means the man of the senses that can smell, see, hear, taste, touch. You got five senses. That man cannot accept anything spiritual. The Bible says so. Accept, dekomai, comes from the word dek. Now the reason I am so intent on this is because my father preached this, all his preacher friends preached it, and it terrified me because I didn't know if I had done it. I found out who I was when I grew up and studied the Bible. Dec is the word ten in the Greek. A decade is ten years. Decalogue. This is real personal to me. I guess y'all think, is this man sick? He says this all the time. At O-G-U-E. Decalogue comes from deck and logos. It means the ten words of the ten commandments. Deck logos. Decomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that has been presented. The Bible says when you're dead in sin, you're dead. How dead is that? Well, it's dead. You can't accept anything spiritual. That shows that God has to come to a certain people and put truth in their heart, convict their heart, and draw them to Him. You can't, there's none that seeketh after God. Nobody does. If God does not draw, John six forty four, no man can come to me. I just like to say that no man can come. John six forty four. No man can come to me except, I just like to say that, no man can come to me. Well, boy, that leaves me out in the cold. That's right. Except the Father. Jesus said, except the Father, which has sent me, draw, draw him. Now, draw does not mean a magnetic pull and kind of pull you towards the truth. It doesn't mean that. Draw is the word helco. It's the same word in John, the 21st chapter, when Peter was out fishing and he could not draw. There was such a load of fish in the net, he could not draw them in. It means to drag. 
God has to drag his people in. It's not something you can walk an aisle and accept. It's not true. It's a lie. It's false doctrine. And I hate accept Christ as your personal Savior. I hate it with a passion. Will you accept the things of Christ? Oh, yes, you will. After he births you by his will. You can't accept anything spiritual till then. Nothing. There's nothing redeemable in a man. There's none good, not one, none understands it. Nobody seeks God. No one. How will you know? And my father used to say, if you don't know tonight, you're going to go to hell. And this may be your last chance. That's false doctrine. That's a lie. But did anybody ever hear this beside me? And did it ever bother you? Bothered me to no end. It upset me all the time I was a kid till I was grown. Every day of my life. I was seeking Christ. You know what? That was proof that I belonged to Him, that I was seeking Him. Blessed are they that hunger, thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. That means God had put something into my heart. And they would preach the sinner's prayer for salvation. Sinner's prayer. I hate that. Not that sinners can't pray, but the sinner's prayer for salvation is not true. And the, all the independent Baptists I ever knew went to Romans ten thirteen. All of them. I've heard, I've heard a hundred of them go to that and tell you, well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all you have to do is pray this prayer. Lord, save me for Jesus' sake. Amen. That's just a lie. Because the next verse, verse 14 says, How shall they call on him, in verse 13, in whom they have not believed? You see, believe is the method of salvation. Believe. And believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And the, that's the verb. And the noun form of believe is P-I-S-T-I-S. And that is the word faith. We're saved by grace through faith. That's believing God. And if believe is a verb, that's something you do. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. You have to do truth and you have to do righteousness. So it depends. you're not saved by works, but you're saved by working faith. If God doesn't change your heart, you don't want to live right. It's not up to you. It's up to Him. Do you have a problem wanting to live right? Sure day. Well, good. That means Christ is in you. And you have the Lord in you. If you don't have any conviction about doing right, God's not in your heart. That's proof. Here's how I learned. Let me tell you how I found out. I grew up. I started studying the Bible. I started when I was 17. This was 1956. My mother and father had given me a Bible. And I didn't know what to do with it. My father was such a shallow preacher. He would quote the same six or seven or eight verses every time he got up. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Hebrews 11 and 1, Romans 10.9 and 10. That was his verses that he quoted every time he got up. And I and he kept saying, if you don't know, absolutely positive. Is anybody here that actually can say you know you're saved? <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, Lord, are you just letting me preach and you're going to send me to hell one day after this is all over? How do you know? And my father knew nothing about knowing. First of all, if you don't define, if you say, if you tell people, you don't know tonight, and you mean, if you mean gnosko, then you're lying to the people. You're preaching false doctrine. There's two words for know in the Greek text. You have the word gnosko and the word ido. Gnosko has the idea, it comes from gnosis, which is the word science or knowledge. And knowledge is something with exactness and it's something you learn. That's something you learn. That's not the word that Paul used when he said, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. But you can't even read that and study that unless you read the text. Let's let's look over there at let's go over to to first Timothy or Second Timothy. Go to Second Timothy. Now, here's where he said this. And if you don't know this, this will help you if you're... I want to explain this to you so you'll understand. Second Timothy. The first chapter. And he says here in in verse, he's talking about evil preachers and what they're preaching. And he says in verse 11, Whereunto, speaking of the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. I'm, a, I'm an apostle, a preacher, And a teacher. Now let's read the rest of this. Let's read the rest of this right here. I'm a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause, and since I am a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, and for this cause, I also suffer these things. They're trying to kill me every day. They're chasing me. Want to put me in prison. Because I used to be one of the Pharisees and I was killing Christians for a living. I used to be one of them. And when I was converted on the Damascus Road, now I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher, and I'm suffering for being these things. And the Romans and the Jews are trying to kill me every day. Then he says those magic words. 
I also suffer those things, and nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Boy, that bothered me as a kid. My father would quote that or read it, and I'd think, well, how does he know it? I don't know. This right here says, since I am suffering for being an apostle, a preacher, a teacher, therefore I ido. And they're trying to chase me down and kill me and put me in prison. And they're eventually going to behead me and cut my head off. Therefore, I see who I believe in. I'm seeing the old me that wanted to kill the people that are doing what I'm doing. And they're chasing me. Therefore, I see the actions in me. And that's why how I know I believe God. Because I've watched my life change. That's your knowing. Can you get a hold of that? Now, what was it happened to me? This is a personal testimony. My father didn't start preaching till 1949. I was born in 1939. So I was 10 years old when he started preaching. 10 years old. Now, I remember, and I had all these places I supposedly got saved, walked out in his churches, and he was dipping me in, dipping me in water over and over and over again. And I, you talk about a confused kid. I was seeking Christ. That's what I was doing, walking down that aisle constantly. When he started preaching, before he started preaching, he was a Methodist preacher. Methodist song leader would go from church to church and he'd lead singing and he was at a Methodist church in the poly section of Fort Worth and I was out in front of that church and these Methodists back then would preach hellfire and this preacher preached on hell and I stood out in front of this church and I was about eight years old and I'm looking up to heaven looking at the moon, and I said, Jesus, I love you, <laughs> and I want to come to live with you one day. I couldn't have been praying to him if I didn't believe in him. I had to grow up and find out that all these places I supposedly got saved, they didn't count because I was a believer at eight years old, and I don't even know if I was a believer before that. I don't know when God started saving me. I just know, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And how shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How could I have been praying to Him? And then my father starts confusing me in 1949. And every time he had a revival, you don't know tonight you're going to go to hell, Jimmy. He might as well have said, Jimmy. I hate this doctrine more than I hate anything. Accept Christ as a method of salvation and sinner's prayer. You preachers are lying. And what you're doing is preaching false doctrine. And every Baptist I've ever around preaches that. And it's not true. God had to put faith in my heart before I was eight years old. In order for me to pray to God. Can you understand that? Do you ever really pray and say, Lord, help me to do right? You can't be calling on Him. And they would say, you have to confess Christ. And they'd say, you have to walk down the aisle, and down here at the altar, you've got to confess Christ. They don't even know what confess means. 
They didn't define it. It's false doctrine. If you tell somebody confession is walking down the aisle and confessing Christ at the altar. I want to confess Jesus as my personal Savior. That's stupid. It's dumb. Confess is that word homologeo. My father quoted Romans over in Romans, if that's ten, nine, and ten, quoted that about every service. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He quoted that all the time, but he didn't know what confess meant. Never saw an independent Baptist that knew. There's independent Baptist churches in this town. I hope one of you guys are watching. Confess. Homo. Logeo. Homo means of the same. Of the same. Logos means of the same word means to be of the same word or it means to agree with. You mean you could walk down the aisle and say, I want to agree with Jesus right down here at the front of the altar and and I just want to agree with him here, but I'm not going to do that outside or anywhere down the road. The Bible doesn't give invitation hymns anywhere. Don't believe in invitation hymns. Every time you find an imperative command in the Greek, imperative means a command. You have to look that up in a parsing guide, an analytical lexicon. You look at a word, and if it says IMP, that means an imperative mood. I remember learning in about the sixth grade, some English teacher said, you got four kinds of sentences. You got a statement or declarative, they called it a declarative. And that's a statement that ends in a period. Jim Jim went to the store. And then you have uh, an inter- interrogative. Inter- interrogative comes from interrogate means to question. So that's a question. Interrogative. That's to interrogate. Did Jim go to the store? That ends in a question mark. Then you have an exclamatory. That ends with an exclamation mark. You mean Jim went to the store and I didn't even tell him? And then you have an imperative command. It's an imperative mood. It is a command. And it's the same thing in the Greek. Same thing. Imperative. I, I used this illustration when Eric was at home and he was 12. And I'd say, take the garbage out. That wasn't a question. And it wasn't an exclamation point. And it, didn't, it wasn't a statement. It was a command. He'd say, I'd do this later. I'd say, you'll do it now. That's an imperative command. And every time you find one in the Greek, that's 
commands by God. Rather than inviting anybody in, God says, follow me. That's what he said to Matthew, follow. A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-O. It means to be in the same way with. Boy, if they would... How simple is this? Is this simple? There's two ways. A narrow way and a broad way that leads to destruction. And many go in the broad way. Jesus is not saying, follow me in the broad way. He says, follow me in the narrow way. That's the only two ways. One leads to eternal life. The other leads to destruction. The Broadway leads to... That's why they name all of these streets in the big cities Broadway. You can live the way you want. You got one in Nashville with all the bars and the the little nightclubs in it and the little out-of-the-way beer joints. You got one in Denver. You got the big one in New York. Got a Broadway in every town. That way you can live the way you want. Many go in the broad way. Narrow, thalibo, is a form of the word thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. So when Jesus tells Matthew, follow me, he's being the same tribulation way with me. Say the things that I say and agree with me, homologeo, of the same word, and when you tell people Christmas is pagan, you're going to be in the tribulation, the narrow way. That's not what I was told when I was growing up. I was told, all you got to do is make sure, get, walk down the aisle and confess Christ. How often are you supposed to confess the Lord? Huh? Anywhere, any day, any time you can. The wonderful thing about confess, homologeo, I didn't see this for years. Titus one sixteen says, this is amazing because you've got to look these words up, Titus one sixteen says, some men profess, profess that they know me, They profess that they know me. And by the way, that word profess is the exact same word homologeo. They say with the lips, they agree with the lips, but in works, they deny Christ. They deny me. Denies the word A R N E O M A I. Contradict. You see, confessing is not walking down the aisle and saying, I believe Jesus, and I'd like to say I agree with him with my mouth. He said, You have to. We're created unto, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2. 10, which my father never quoted. He would never, he'd quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and I heard all the independent Baptists quote, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The end. That was the end of those verses. And they never went to verse 10. We are his workmanship. Workmanship, poema. 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Oh, are there good works? The word good is the word agathos. A-G-A-T-H-O-S. That's the same word you find in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. 8.28. All things work together for agathos, beneficial. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So we're created in Christ Jesus, to, uh, Christ Jesus unto beneficial works. You have works of the flesh, you have ritual, and then you have the works of God. Works of God. And I love the verse, Philippians 2.13. It is God, God that works in you. That's the inner man. God works in you. And without definition of these words, you're not going to have I've, all the independent Baptists said, it's not of works. Works has nothing to do with you. are ignorant. All of you. We're created in Christ Jesus and can do good works, which God hath before ordained. Proetoiamazo. P-R-O-E-T-O-I-M-A-Z-O. God has before ordained. Pro meaning before. Hatoiamaz means to fit up. To fit up beforehand or in advance. He's fitted us up to good works, to beneficial works of God. Every man's going to be judged according to his works. If God's not working in you, and if he's working in you and you start praying and you really mean it with all your heart, you couldn't pray to him unless you believed in him. It's really... You know how simple salvation... It's not simple. He makes it hard on us. It's not easy at all. But it's easy to understand. Once you say, Oh, if I'm praying to God and I really mean it with all my heart and I feel something in me that's causing me to want to change from what I've been and I don't know how to change, well, you don't have to know how to change... All you have to do is live through the fire and the trial and God will make you holy. In time, you'll get tired of yourself. And you'll start saying, Oh, it's like I woke up one day and said, Oh, I was praying when I was eight. And I really meant that with all my heart. I can remember that. I remember that night as well as it was yesterday right now. And I was eight years old in Fort Worth. I don't like these preachers... They're preaching false doctrine when they give these people this information that's not true. It's false doctrine. I hate the sinner's prayer for salvation. Sinners, the blind man in John nine thirty one, after he was healed, after he was healed, the Pharisees, he healed on the Sabbath and they considered this Sabbath the most holy thing to them. And they came to the man's parents and said, Who healed this? Who healed you? They didn't believe in healing on the Sabbath. They said, Who healed your son? And they said, Well, he's a grown man. Don't you ask him? So they go to the son and say, Who healed you? He is a sinner. That man that supposedly healed you. He said, Well, he's the one that did it. I was blind. Now I can see. And the the man that was blind could see said, 
We know that God heareth not sinners. What he's saying, God wouldn't have listened to him if he's a sinner like you say. God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. That man was saying, God doesn't listen to people who don't believe in him. So when I was eight, I was believing in Jesus. And I had to grow up, study the Bible to find out my father was not telling the truth. Now, if I'll disagree with my father for saying, accept Christ in a sinner's prayer and walk down the aisle, believe me, I'll disagree with Billy Graham. He said the same thing. Billy Graham was a false teacher. Now, you can get mad. You say, but he was popular. Well, that was one of the problems. Woe unto you. Woe. O-U-A-I. Woe is a cry of damnation. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. The people of ancient Israel spoke well of the false prophets because the false prophets say, no, 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 you're not going to be carried away into Babylon. But they were. They were trying to make them feel good. Woe unto you, there's a cry of damnation. If everybody in the world liked you and everybody liked Billy Graham, he was just like Sarah Lee. Remember the old commercial? Nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Nobody doesn't like Billy Graham. He was friends to everybody. All the presidents liked him except Harry Truman. Harry Truman said he was a phony. All the the Baptists, the Catholics. I got a picture of Billy Graham shaking hands with the Pope. It's in the book, Smokescreens. Went to the Pope for his blessings. People don't even want to believe that about Billy Graham because he was too popular. He was on top of the popularity list for 48 to 50 years in his lifetime. At the top, one of the most popular men in the world. Yeah, Time Magazine. Huh? Time Magazine. Oh, Every year he was on the top of the list, either number one, two, or three, for 48 to 50 years. Was he friends with the world? Oh, yeah. The Pope liked him. The Dalai Lama, who's the head of the Buddhist religion, met with him and liked him. All the pagans liked him. The Church of Christ liked him. The Baptists liked him. The Pentecostals liked him. Everybody liked Billy Graham. If you're friends with the world, James 4 and 4, friends, friendship with the world is enmity against God. Enmity is the word ekthra, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. Hostile. I believe Billy Graham was a false teacher preaching accept Christ, the sinner's prayer, and walk down the aisle and confess him only down here at the altar. I confess Christ every day. I go out and witness somebody every day. I don't go out and try to bend somebody's arm and try to get them to pray a sinner's prayer. I just talk to them. I say, did you know Christmas was pagan 300 years ago in America? It was against all to celebrate it. Tell my doctors that. Did you believe in predestination? Have you ever heard of it? Well, the Bible says, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. i got to go back to an orthodontist here this month, and I preached him about everything. He said, I really like the things you're saying. I said, you believe what I'm saying? Yeah, I like your T-shirts, the ones that says, God doesn't love everybody. I said, you believe that? 
I'm so surprised when an extremely educated man says he believes this. I'm shocked. Because the message we preach, when the apostles heard it, they were astonished at it. They were shocked at it. I know that what I'm saying is going to shock people. Christmas is pagan. God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born, before they'd done any good or evil. That's what the Bible says. But you've got to know what love is to even explain that. People say, God loves everybody in the world. He does not. Well, John 3.16 says it. It does not. It says God so loved. So is an adverb tells how and what fashion it modifies verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. It modifies the verb loved. That alters the word loved. And I'm not going to go through that. That takes all day. Just go through John 3.16. He didn't love everybody. He loved Jacob hated Esau before either one were born. Before they either one had done any good or evil, he hated Esau before he had ever done any evil. He said so. I know this is real simple stuff. But it's definition. And if you're not preaching definition, if you're freezing in a real easy last Tuesday, I preached on my yoke is easy. So people read that. My yoke is easy. People say, see, Christianity is easy. That's not the word easy. It's not that word easy. It's a part of the word kriya. Which means to need or use. When my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, it's that word Kriya. And you get the word crest, C-H-R-E-S-T-A-T-O-S, which is a form of the word Kriya. It means to meet a need. And that's what easy is. It don't mean it's easy in English. Forget easy. That's not it. Without definition, you're going to look at that and say, oh, being a Christian is easy. No, it's not. My sister-in-law, she's ignoramus. They used to be on TV. And she'd say, being a Christian is easy. All you have to do is pray this prayer. Mary, you're ignorant. Ignorant. I hope you'll watch this message if they ever see it. Now, let me get on to some more false doctrines. God loves everybody is false doctrine. I've explained most of it up here. God doesn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born. Said he did. He told Rebekah, there's twins in your womb. The elder, he said this in the 25th chapter of Genesis, the elder shall serve the younger before they're born. Esau will serve Jacob. And I love Jacob and I hate Esau. And people say, God loves everybody. What they mean? That God phileos everybody. And he doesn't. Phileo means have affection. Or to like. 
You can have affection for anything. I like cake. I like God. I like my dog. I like my car. I have a phileo for for going fishing. I have a phileo for for ice cream. I have a phileo for I I like I phileo getting drunk. I phileo drugs. You can like anything. The Bible does not say for God so phileo the world does not say that it says for God so agape or agapao which is the verb form of agape so is an adverb a-u-t-o there's a diacritical mark there huto it's an adverb adverbs tell how when or where? Sometimes, why? This tells how or in what fashion God loved. And adverbs modify. Modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. This word Modify means to alter, to alter, to change, to put a condition on. So modifies loved. So, so says God doesn't love everybody, only so loved. Or in this fashion love. What in the world does it mean in this fashion? He just got through saying in John 3, 14, John three fourteen. He's taught that's what he's talking about. John three fourteen. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he was told to lift up a brazen serpent on a pole. Wrapped around the pole. That's the sign of the doctors, isn't it? That's a doctor's sign. A serpent on a pole. And Moses said, whoever looks will live as these fiery serpents come into Israel and bite everybody. Everyone that looks to this pole as as the serpents lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God in this fashion loved the world. The same way in numbers that He lifted up the serpent Whoever looks lives, but you cannot look unless God gives you a seeing eye. The seeing eye and the hearing ear. And you won't even hear the words, whoever looks lives. So you won't look, you won't see, and you won't hear the words, whoever looks lives. God in this same fashion so loved so loved the cosmos. Cosmos means orderly arrangement. It is masculine gender. Masculine gender, it's male. So it means there's an orderly arrangement of mankind. Do you think you have to define these words in John 3, 6 to understand it? Yes! For God, in this fashion, the same way He said, look and live, though He loved the orderly arrangement of mankind, 
And it doesn't say whosoever. Whosoever is not a Greek word. It's nowhere in the Greek. It doesn't say ever say whosoever. Anytime you who's anytime English speaking people see whosoever, you know what they want to do? Put will right after that. Whosoever will. That sounds like it's free will. It doesn't say that. Not in the Greek. Here's the rest of John three sixteen. That instead of whosoever it says that the believing all they and believing are adjectives adjectives modify remember I said modify means to alter modify nouns and pronouns Modify means to alter or to change or put a condition on. And the pronoun they modify is all. Well, every time you have an adjective, believing is actually a participle, which is actually a verbal adjective. A verbal adjective is a participle. You remember a verbal noun is an infinitive. And can anybody remember the verbal noun, the most popular one we talk about? Baptize, baptizo. Well, this means that there is believing all means there's a believing upon the all. All is a pronoun. And any time you have a modifying word upon another word, it has to carry the same number and the same gender. The number is singular. The is singular. It's actually the word ho. Ho. You remember you remember all these these uh ways to spell the right here? Remember this? This is twenty four ways to spell the in the New Testament. Masculine, feminine, neuter in the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter in the plural. Novative, genitive, dative, and accusative case. And that's where it is in the sentence. See that word whole? Now sometimes I'll talk about thee. And it's feminine gender. But whole is masculine gender. Nominative case singular. So every word, thee, believing in all, has to be nominative, masculine, singular has to be nominative, masculine, and singular. So there's one the, one believing, and one all. It doesn't say whosoever. That's what it says in the original. Now, does that matter? If there's one all, what is the one all that that believes in him? Huh? All 
What? Our people. No. no. I mean, our different. You're, you're making a mistake. You've heard me say it a hundred times. What is one all that he died for? Yellow. What? The elect. Well, the elect is right, but what's the all called? Church. Wife. Bride. Flock. That's all one. The bride is one. The wife is one. The flock is one. The sheep is one. All of them together are a flock. That's the one all that he died for. See, John 3.16 is actually a predestination verse. There's one particular believing all that believe in him in the orderly arrangement, masculine and gender of God. There's no way you can translate that properly into English because you're not going to understand all those parts of speech. There's just no way. You know what I believe the you know what I believe the English Bible is? It's a confusion of languages. And I hope that everybody will learn to how to I'm making this pretty simple. You can look the word up in the all Mr. Strong will give you when you look up in Strong's, he gives you nominative, masculine, singular. That's all he gives you. There's a different spelling for it in the accusative voice. That's the direct object. The dative case is another word, and that's, excuse me, accusative case. The dative case is the indirect object. Genitive case is showing possession, like baptism of repentance. And nominative case is the subject or the predicate nominative. And I've gone through that, and I can explain that, and it's really fairly simple. If you think English is hard, it's really not. I'm not teaching you college English. I'm telling you what I learned in the ninth grade in 1953, in the 10th grade in 1954, in the 11th grade in 1955 and 56. That's what I'm teaching you. I'm not teaching you college anything. This is really basic English that you should have learned, but the teachers today don't teach those things anymore, do they? I want to, why is it important? So you can figure out what John 3.16 means. It's not hard. If you'll learn what adjectives and adverbs are, nouns and pronouns, I'm not going to get you into participles and infinitives, just and you learn the parts of speech, what the verbs are, action verbs and being verbs. Does this make a difference in understanding the Bible? It makes all the difference in the world. Let me just say this. And if you want me, I'll teach you how to do this. You need to know what a subject of a sentence is. The predicate. The subject is the first part of a sentence. That's the person, place, or thing. Person, it's always a noun, either that or verbal noun, and then you got the predicate is the rest of the sentence. Then you've got on the end of the sentence, you've either got a direct object 
or a predicate nominative. Direct object receives the action of the action verb. Action verb. And the direct object, Jim, is the subject through the ball. Ball is the direct object. It receives the action of the verb that Jim threw. It's like, that's basic. Simple, isn't it? And then predicate nominative is the same thing in the predicate that equals the subject. So you have to have, when you got a predicate nominative, it has to have a being verb here, or helping verb, is, or be, and all those being verbs. Predicate nominative equals the subject. Jim is pastor. Pastor is the predicate nominative. Does that matter? Well, yeah. So you can understand the Bible if you know some basic English. And if you can know what the predicate is and what adverbs are, that's not hard. Adverbs, adjectives. These are basic parts of the sentence. Adjectives, adverbs, adjectives, nouns, pronouns. A pronoun takes the place of a noun. I don't know. I don't realize that the teachers are not teaching any more than they're teaching this day and time. Everything I'm teaching you is ninth grade English out of 1953, 54, 55. That's all I'm teaching. I'm not a learned English per- person. I just remember that. Does it make a difference? Yes, it does. Except when you have an adjective which modifies something, it modifies nouns and pronouns. The adjective has to have the same gender of the noun or pronoun that it modifies. That's like you got the same... If you have a noun or pronoun, Jim is the pastor, you can't say she. You've got to have a pronoun that refers back to Jim, and it's got to carry the same gender, he. And that's where you find out some things about the Bible, how they've been mistranslated. By using simple, basic English. I've got all of these things I'm going to come back to. I'm running out of time. Invitation hymns are false doctrine. Let Jesus come into your heart is false doctrine. Free will is false doctrine. No predestination is false doctrine. Notice I said no predestination. Christmas, Easter, Valentine's, Mardi Gras, and Halloween are all false doctrine. Water baptism is false doctrine because baptized was an an infinitive, a verbal noun. Just remember the fluid has to come from an outer source upon the person has to whelm or stain and diet when you're talking about baptized. There's one baptism. Crackers and grape juice are false doctrine. All the prosperity doctrine is false doctrine. All of it. I'm going to come back and go through a lot of this. I've got a whole list of stuff that's false doctrine. It's everything that's going on in the churches today, and that's the reason for the virus. 
It has nothing to do with Democrats and Republicans. Those guys are all foolish. They don't know nothing about nothing when it comes to spiritual. Proof of that is they're fighting like cats and dogs, aren't they? I don't believe in any of them. To say I don't believe in Joe Biden, I don't believe in Donald Trump either. I don't believe in Nancy Pelosi or any of the, or Kamala Harris or any of them. Don't believe in George Bush or George Jr. or Ronald Reagan or any of those people. They run for office so they can have money and power. Hadn't you figured that out yet? And I'm going to go through a lot of this. There's no death to self. If there's no death to self, the guy's preaching false doctrine. If there's no daily cross, it's false doctrine. If there's no self-denial, it's false doctrine. If there's no sovereignty of God, it's false doctrine. If it's a feel-good gospel, it's false doctrine. If it's an easy Jesus, it's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. It's false doctrine. You say, why do you preach so much against this? That's what's going on in the churches, and that's what's confusing the people, just like I was confused as a boy growing up. It was all the false doctrine that was going, I don't understand this. If somebody said to me, Jimmy, do you know that your father may not be telling the truth? I'd be going, what, what? He wasn't telling us the truth. I wrote a letter to my sister and I said, Daddy lied to us all those years. As to whether he meant to is not the point. He didn't study and find out. And she got angry because I wrote her and said he was lying. And she knew he was lying. A lot of people will look at their family and they won't be blunt enough to say the truth when it's time. You don't have to be a great scholar to know the truth. If you know one of these words and know the definition, tell it to somebody. And if they don't like it, that's their problem with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I don't know how to say these things other than just do it, Lord. I've never been so tired of the lies in the pulpits, Lord. Help us to to live the way we should. Fight our battles for us. I can't fight these people. I've never been more depressed in my life. I feel like Jesus. I feel like I'm full of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Lord, fight our battles and lead us to your elect. Strengthen the people that are coming. Make them strong in truth. Show them how how important these definitions are. So they'll get their concordances and look them up for themselves. We'll give you praise for everything. For the good and the bad. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I didn't mean to go here today, but I did. I'm going to come back and do some more of this false doctrine stuff.
did, were y'all ever was anybody ever confused like were y'all ever confused like I was as a kid? They were lying to us. They weren't telling us the truth. If you start believing, the fact that you're seeking God, the Bible says if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then you're one of His. It's not some wonderful, great feeling like you see the Pentecostals jumping up and down and making fools of themselves. That's not what it is. I 